Did you know the bristlecone pine was a thousand years old when the pyramids were built? A man named Joy Morton, who you can read more about online or in the book, A Man of Salton Trees, The Life of Joy Morton, published by Northern Illinois University Press. Totally serious, that's the title. He's the dude who founded Morton Salt Company. Anyhow, he was also the founder of Morton Arboretum in Chicago. His dad, J. Sterling Morton, founded the first American Arbor Day when a million trees were planted in Nebraska. Arbor Day is coming up at the end of April, and in its honor, it felt like great timing to put a mic on these two. I'm Jessica Turnerskoff, the treeologist at the Morton Arboretum. Uh, treeologist is just a fun title. What I am is a science communicator. So what I get to do is I get to take all the great work and science and research and conservation that we do here and translate it for different audiences. So I have a PhD in biology, um, but my passion is telling the stories of research. Uh, my name is Megan Wiesberg. I'm the manager of curriculum and instruction at the Morton Arboretum. Um, I manage our on-site um, teacher school scout and camp programs. Um, I have a background in education. I was a sixth or seventh and eighth grade teacher um, prior to being at the Arboretum. Um, and I have a um, deep passion for working with teachers and students, but also providing um, different resources that they can bring the Arboretum into their classroom. In addition to a ton of interesting things we discuss about the learning design that happens in a 1700 acre Arboretum, we dig into their new podcast called Planted, Finding Your Roots in STEM Careers, an adorable title for an interesting show that's attempting to shed light on the professional world of an entire area of science that previously, I honestly have no idea how people would have learned about. There are two reasons that I found this conversation important to share with you all. The first, we need more examples like this one of innovative attempts to lift the veil on science careers in order to reshape the narrative for young people that science is exclusive and doesn't look like them, whoever you are. And second, to lift up their show as a shining example of how powerful it can be when practitioners themselves take advantage of what's accessible to them as creators, not just consumers of new media. We talk about it all the time for young learners. Be creators, we preach, but we're not practicing it enough ourselves. What you create is an important artifact for professional educators and researchers of all kinds. It's the lifeblood of the field that you hope will continue to thrive after your contribution is made. Who knows, it might just be the most important thing you contribute. Speaking of contribution, I wrote you this haiku. Rate the show subscribe the gift always on my list helps me make more show gorgeous i know publishers call me while i wait for a call from poetry magazine you should enjoy the conversation this is no such thing a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology i'm mark lesser Thank you both for joining. I wanted to start by asking you guys to just tackle the um, the a task I'm sure you're very familiar with, which is what is Morton Arboretum, and um, and tell us who is is coming through the gates or doors at at Morton, and uh, and how over time y'all have influenced uh, communities in the ways that you do. So we are located just outside of Chicago, west of Chicago, 
And uh, the Morton Arboretum has over a million visitors per year um, with, uh, you know, over 53,000 memberships. So we're a really large institution, wow. uh, over 1,700 square acres. And uh, Megan, you want to talk a little bit more about the people that uh, come visit? Yeah, so our visitors range in age from, um, I mean, I want to say birth, but um, you know, the youngest <laughs> of ages that are visiting our children's garden all the way through um, teens, students, um, children of all ages, and then adults of all ages also. Um, so we have a wide range in people that are um, visiting the Arboretum either for a class or just to explore. Um, and so that those million visitors that come annually make up a lot of different um, groups and age ranges. And we develop um, programs and offerings that are tailored to those different audience buckets. Um, I primarily work with um, our youth and our students and our teachers, um, but we're always trying to find different ways to meet these audience groups with things that they want, needs that they have, and in different and in different and innovative ways. Which um, you know is one of the things that we're excited to talk with you about today. But um, that also kind of gives an idea of um, the size of the Arboretum and um, where we're located, just some extra context as to why um, why a project like this is exciting for us because we have so many different audiences that we're trying to, to reach on an annual basis. And not only do we have um, you know, an outstanding education program, but we have a really robust science and conservation program. So we have um, scientists that are doing work both locally and all over the world to not only understand trees, uh, but we have conservationists who are learning how we can keep the tree species around the world and at home alive and thriving. So uh, it's something else that it's this other side to our mission. Our mission is um, one of the major tenants was to plant and protect trees. Um, and so we are trying to be as holistic as possible about that. 1,700 acres? Mm-hmm. That's insane. Um, it's really big. <laughs> I think I think for a lot of people, especially um, you know, whether you're, especially if you're coming from a city, right? Like if I'm a, a 14 year old kid from a city who's never been on a thousand acres of trees, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. that's such an exciting. I mean, I would imagine it's also a uh, allergy inducing. <laughs> experience for them. But that's such an exciting thing to think about is, is experiencing that for the first time. Um, I, I wonder, is, is spring a special time for you all in what you do as museum educators and, and scientists introducing these things? Does it sort of add a, um, a level of excitement that you're actually seeing uh, these, the season in such full force? Well, especially um, being in Chicago, I think at this time of the year, people are also getting ready for winter to be over. Um, and so there's definitely an <laughs> <Amen>. excitement um, <laughs> around the coming of spring. Um, we work with, we have groups um, who come on site, um, especially in our field trip program from all um, different areas around the Chicago region. And we see that kind of um, aha and ah, a moment of awe um, often um, because Although the um, Arboretum has trees in collections from all over the world, they're organized, um, you know, by taxonomy, by their family, um, but also, you know, geographic region. Um, and they're also set within the natural landscape. So there's a lot of um, natural areas to explore, um, you know, wetlands, prairies, woodland, you know, 
pristine woodlands. Um, and so um, there's a lot of um, and people are ready at this time of the year um, to come out. Um, we're also gearing up for um, our, our big holiday of the year, which is Arbor Day coming up um, at the end of April. And so there's definitely, um, the Arboretum is definitely buzzing this time of the year in excitement for both the spring and winter to be over, um, but also to kind of refocus back on trees as leaves begin to emerge and the ground begins to soften and we start to see green all over again, a welcome color. <laughs> That's so exciting. And especially, you know, we're located outside the third largest metropolitan region in the country. So we are this gem nestled just outside of Chicago where, you know, you can come and as Megan was talking about the taxonomic collections and the geographic collections, you can, you know, mag our magnolia collection and crab apples in spring is just outstanding. They're second to none to just walk around and see all these flowers. And, um, but our geographic collections as well, you can um, you know, you're talking about somebody, you know, getting to experience this large landscape, um, but you can walk through our collections and see what it'd be like to walk through a forest in China, kind of, with our collection of yeah. trees. So it's uh, it's just a really special place. You know that feeling you get when uh, somebody's describing food, <laughs> and you like you start to get hungry. That's how I feel. That's how I feel right now. You're talking about the the softening of the earth, and and oh man, I just want to consume some trees. <laughs> um, so you guys are clearly uh, good at what you do. Is there? I but I have been dying to ask. Actually, is there a? Do you guys have a favorite thing in the arboretum this time of year? Uh, like something that's blossoming? Um, well, my favorite tree is the eastern redbud, and that's not ready yet, but mm. it's coming soon. Um, so when our red buds emerge, the flowers are like on the branch. And so it makes it look like um, they look like purpley trees. Um, and it's a really cool sight, but they're not ready yet. We need the, the temperatures to get a little bit warmer. But by end of April, we're kind of on the cusp of um, them starting to to get that pink issue as the buds become more visible. So um, it's not totally green here yet. We're just we're almost there. I think my favorite thing is we have what's called daffodil glade. And so you kind of emerge onto this field that's filled with these beautiful gnarly oaks that are just, they've got so much personality. And once all the daffodils are up, it's just a carpet of yellow for, it's just acres. It's incredible. Mm. Yeah. It's usually, it's a couple of weeks away, but it, it's definitely a sight to behold when it does bloom. Man, We're excited. I'm excited. <laughs> It does, you know, just talking about it does excite me, but that's, I, I think in part, um, that's because I, I, you know, grew up, uh, in a, in a patch of woods in my backyard and, and, uh, having the natural world be part of, um, you know, who I became over time. But, um, part of the task for you all is, is to sort of get people there, right. To get people uh, excited and, uh, jazzed about, um, you know, the, uh, ecosystem and diversity of that system and, um, and preservation and these kinds of things. And so, so one of the questions I've been excited to ask you all, and, um, I know about a few of the projects, but, but is, is really to talk a little bit about, how uh, digital learning and and how this this uh, connected world has changed things for uh, you know the education that you all deliver at Morton. 
I think one of the things that it's allowed us to do is to kind of look beyond um, our region um, and have um, find ways that we can use um, digital um, assets, digital projects to really reach new audiences in different ways and kind of expand that on a on a on a scale outside of the region, just to get people excited to go outside in their region or to learn and look at trees um, differently. You know, even if that's not the oaks that we, you know, feel so fondly about in Illinois, but maybe the the species that are are close to them. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we've been working to really find new digital um, ways to um, reach individuals, if that's online learning for classes, if it's incorporating digital components um, into programs here on site that just enhance the natural world, or if that is creating, um, I don't want to say a digital product, but a digital um, piece for to get people excited about what careers in, um, in trees look like, um, so that if people do get outside and get excited about studying them, they know what that could look like. Um, in the future for them. And Jess, I don't know if you want to elaborate a little bit more on, um, you know, other ways that the digital, you know, resources that we provide kind of reaching that global, more of that global audience. Um, You know, one of the things that uh, I'm really excited about uh, here at the Morton Arboretum is that we are currently having a, a new permanent exhibit, which will be officially open soon called the Gateway to Tree Science. And on site, it's this fantastic exhibit that kind of walks the visitor through how we do tree science, why we do tree science, um, how we care for trees, why trees in cities have um, issues growing because of, you know, um, we're going to have different experiments set up where trees are planted in different mediums. And so over time, you'll be able to see uh, a tree succeed or decline. It's a really like hands-on experience. But we also have a whole suite of digital content. So it extends beyond just the physical presence of this beautiful location. Um, But it's something that increases our reach and our access to other people. So one of those um, projects that's the digital component of this is actually the Canopy Career Chronicles, which we're really pumped about. This is uh, a website that students will be able to go. Uh, They'll be able to go through kind of like a BuzzFeed style quiz to find out what career in tree science best matches their own interests. And once the students have done that, they'll actually be able to see a graphic novel, which is part of the Canopy Career Chronicles, um, where they can kind of follow the story of how somebody got into that certain career field. So we highlight everything from a horticulturalist to a um, tree science research leader to a conservation advocate. All these, we have about eight, I think. Yes. Eight different uh, career options. And they're based on real life employees here at the Morton Arboretum. And, you know, so a student will be able to get, uh, be able to take this quiz, see what job matches their um, interests and then be able to have this beautiful snapshot of what that's like and what type of um, how to get that career, what that looks like, why it's interesting to that person. Um, So it's going to be a really fun new online component that we have. I'm excited about it just because it's a neat exhibit, but it's a physical exhibit. And so there are limitations to those who can access it. And this um, the exhibit itself really highlights um, what, how tree science is informing tree care, how we're mm-hmm. using the things that we're learning um, in order to inform others on how they should care for trees. But um, 
the Canopy Career Chronicles are also highlighting these different research opportunities, these different careers, uh, and what it, you know, how people have, in a story format, how they um, arrived kind of where they are, which is very similar to the um, podcast project as well, but it's just another way of, um, you know, we are an on-site, we are a museum, um, but finding ways to both have an in-person experience and then a digital experience that can have a wider reach to bring in new audience as well. And provide a deeper connection to people that maybe come on site but want more. Yeah, I wanted I want to get to the um, to the podcast because I'm excited about it. But but before I do, I, I wanted to ask, um, you know, um, among these things, I love the idea of the graphic um, these these short sort of graphic zines that students can dig into to um, think about careers like horticulture, which um, uh, you know. I don't think I had any access to as a young person, but, um, I did, I, I read a couple of them and, uh, and I find them super accessible and, um, exciting, even if it's not totally fun. And, and even if it's not, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that the mistake that sometimes we make when we're creating support materials for education is thinking that, you know, every one of them has got to be the thing that, that, um, proves the outcome. You know what I mean? Like tips, tips Mm -hmm. the scale in the direction of, uh, you know, in this case, there being, you know, a million horticulturalists who are going to graduate, um, with, with degrees in the next five years. But, um, each one of these things is a really important part of a, a kind of ecosystem that supports young people in thinking about themselves in these environments, these professional environments. And I think um, uh, accessibility is such a huge part of that. And if we're not thinking about what what media are relevant um, to the young people we're trying to reach, then we're really we're kind of doing uh, only part of our job, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. One of the things I, I I can't help myself but to ask whether I bump in all the time. So uh, only a week ago, I was in Nashville. And one of the things that um, I was dying to do was to go to many people know there's a there's a scale replica in Nashville um, of the Parthenon. And I have been dying to see this for a very long time, which which is maybe a, a badge of nerdery for me. Well, this is amazing. I did not know this existed, and oh. I'm very excited right now. <laughs> oh, it it exists, and it's. I have to say, it was every bit as as uh, worth it as I had hoped it would be. <laughs> but as I'm <laughs> as I'm making my way around the outside of the Parthenon, I was there with um, some family who I was visiting. Uh, in part, I was visiting. I was sort of passing through, and I got to see some family, and I convinced them to go to the Parthenon with me. And um, I'm outside, and I I asked um, this nice younger couple maybe late teens early 20s um hey can you you know take a picture of my uh family and i in front of the parthenon and um they kind of looked at me with a scowl and were like yeah we're in the middle of something and they were on their phones um on pokemon go okay right so they were they were like in the middle of a pokemon gym at the parthenon which i'm sure they get some amazing pokemon but in that moment i was actually thinking you know i'm going to talk to these guys from the arboretum 
uh, later this week. And I wonder if this has got to happen all the time. Like uh, when you have live exhibition of, of any kind, uh, there's always got to be – I don't think there's any avoiding unless you're going to put people's devices away, the intersection of what's happening in people's digital lives and, and what's happening in the live exhibition. And I think some of the projects that you guys are working on are just such a nice – Complement to those two things, but I had to ask you: um, Do you guys get Pokemon crazed uh, teens often at the Arboretum? And have you guys done anything that um, kind of grabs those young people who are having experiences and things like augmented reality and and sort of trying to turn that into an exp- a museum experience? So, um, hold on, I need to think a little bit about. We had. We had a uptick with our attendance with Pokemon Go when it first came out. Really? I was on maternity leave, so I'm not the person to ask because I played <laughs> I played Pokemon Go while I was um, on. Like, that's what I would do when I would take my daughter for a walk. Um, that makes me, I realize, a huge nerd, but I don't really care. It was awesome. I think, um, we're, I think we're in the safe space where all of us are nerds here. You're in a safe space. Mark, I would say that it is something that I think that, um, you know, we're still looking for the answer on. We don't have a... Um, you know, a, a shining example of something that um, in the digital age, um, people are very connected to their device. And it is, you know, in order to experience the natural world and a lot of the collections at the Arboretum, um, it does, you know, require a little bit of time away from screens. And um, we've, we've done different projects in the past um, that have used digital tools um, as the key part of the experience. Um, and, um, as we've experimented with those, we've found ways that they work really well um, for different programs um, in providing accessibility for groups that maybe have a varying need. Um, we have a, um, a tool that it's a self-guided resource that we have an accessibility um, loaning resource that we provide um, that groups who have a um, visual or, or hearing impairment can utilize that um, it's an iPad and it has some accessibility features built in with a walking path around our lake. Um, and that's been, um, you know, that tool we released a little bit over a year ago and has been um, available for groups. Um, but it's definitely something that we're cognizant of because we want to um, provide people with onset experiences that are really immersive in, ma- in nature. And sometimes that means a disconnect from, um, from the digital world that we all, we all experience. Yeah, I I ask myself that question a lot of to what degree we we need spaces that are disconnected and to what degree um, the that kind of ubiquitousness of um, the digital experience in all of the things that we do, whether it's a a very sort of offline museum or elsewhere, whether it's sort of inevitable and we just really need to keep thinking about um, the best ways to do it. But I think, I think we're all sort of struggling with the right balance. And, um, I think the Arboretum is, is one of those places that, um, you know, is just so tempting to think, uh, that, that it, it belongs in and of itself sort of without, um, without intervention from, uh, you know, and any kinds of support tools. Well, Mark, I would like to say on top of that, you know, being a science communicator, it always comes back to what the audience wants or what the audience needs. And while, you know, I personally, yeah, I love going out in the woods and disconnecting. 
there's people that don't like to do that. So mm-hmm. I think that it's one of those things that um, having technology available that can actually really enhance somebody's experience. It may not be for everybody, but I think it can be a tool that can really make an experience richer and more vibrant for just depending on who who's at the helm. I agree. Yeah, it's it's a um, it, we, I uh, I go back and forth, like I said, uh, but I do I do love uh, one of the things that m- makes me think a lot about that is geocaching, right? Mm-hmm. My my mm-hmm. kids really like to geocache and and uh, you know being in the woods uh, connected to a device is one of those moments where um, you know we're out we're enjoying the natural world more as a result of it in some cases uh, but then there's also part of me that that feels like I kind of wish we were just out here enjoying the natural world um, so I, I as a parent I, I kind of go back and forth but I think that w- one of the mis mis uh, misconceptions about um, lots of the sciences and I think uh, you as a science communicator, um, probably do a lot of, of talking about this is, um, that I I think that people, especially when we talk about STEM, I think in, in some ways it's, it's really terrific that STEM as an acronym helps us to realize that these things are connected science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, I think though that one of the mistakes that people make is really thinking about things like botany and horticulture, um, as being sort of, you know, low tech and um, them not being uh, kind of, you know, high tech careers or high tech pathways to pursue. And I, I wonder how you you all feel about that um, and how you handle that when you're talking to young people about the careers um, involved with or, or sort of connected to the, the domain that's involved with the Arboretum. Um, how do you talk about that? And, and um, do you think it's right to think of it as a low-tech career or, or is there just no such thing? My, uh, my favorite anecdote actually uh, about this subject of high-tech, low-tech with um, you know, careers and studying plants, my buddy did her dissertation with a $35,000 piece of equipment Jeez. that we had to haul into the woods, uh, a Lycor which are really cool, um, really cool pieces of machinery where you can, you know, evaluate stomatal conductance, you know, you can look at um, like leaf temperature, air temperature, um, photosynthetically active radiation, Uh, like you can really get into some very precise measurements while out in the field. So my buddy did her dissertation with that, I used a ruler. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's one of those things that you can make it whatever level you want it to be which I think is just a really beautiful component of it because, you know, plants are, plants are really kind of hidden worlds. And let's just take a moment and talk about trees because we are an outdoor living tree museum here at the Morton Arboretum. Um, But, you know, you look at trees, the roots are unseen and they typically extend, you know, well beyond the canopy. Mm. The trees itself are typically really, really big. Um, And it's really hard to reach the canopy So you have this um, kind of an alien-like structure that people don't know that much about comparatively to other plants because they're hard to study. And, you know, the oldest living thing in the world is a tree. The largest living thing in the world, either clonally or an individual, is a tree. Um, So you've got this really weird organism and um, you've got average dissertations being around five years and you have these really long-lived organisms that you're trying to study. So people haven't made as much of an effort um, on trees until now. 
I would say. Uh, so we need all of the technology as possible to study them. Um, we use drones here at the Morton Arboretum. We use sonic tomography, which is uh, a really cool, it's using sound to actually look at the inside of a tree. So you can assess whether or not a tree is damaged from the inside Yo. based on how sound travels through it. Really cool stuff. What is What does that tool look like? Um, so what you basically do is you have all these sensors, you attach, uh, I believe like nails all the way around the tree, mm -hmm. you attach these sensors around the perimeter and then they transmit and receive sound, um, sound pulses. Mm -hmm. And then you have some special software that will calculate, you know, the damaged area and put a model on the screen for you. Hmm. So you're actually able to, you know, see this unseen world of a tree. That's insane. That's like a sonogram for a tree. Yeah. Yeah, it's sonic sonic tomography is the term. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be cool for a business card. Sonic <laughs> tomographer. <laughs> um, along that vein, one of the things that I love about working with teachers and students to study trees or to um, learn about trees in their classroom is that um, some of this work can be done with a simple tape measure, um, and so it's really accessible for people to kind of start studying about trees. Um, but we also have um, you know, one of our guests in our podcast talked about this piece of machinery that they use to use the sound waves to break apart DNA in order to, um, you know, be able to analyze the DNA of different species of um, trees or plants that they're collecting. Hmm. And so there's kind of entry points for, um, you know, anybody who is, is you know, just kind of wants to get started and on a very low tech um, type setup or, um, you know, as they, you know, dig deeper, ask more questions, get more curious, um, can find new and innovative ways to study trees um, that um, use different modeling techniques or, as Jessica mentioned, um, you know, drones to look at the whole um, canopy of the tree in areas that we can't, it's not as accessible to collect data. Um, and so there's a lot of really cool high-tech things that are being done, in, but there's entry points, you know, along the spectrum so that um, you know, as you get more curious, you can still learn. There's so much to learn with simple tools as well. Mm. And so at the Morton Arboretum, we have the Center for Tree Science, which we are working to understand everything we can about trees. So we have um, within the Science and Conservation Department, at least 70 people working there. Um, so we have, you know, a board culturalist, we have forest ecologists, conservation biologists. We have this whole um, team of individuals that are using some really cool, very diverse pieces of technology and equipment. And we partner with like engineers and, um, you know, I think even NASA was here once for a study. Hmm. So it's, it's really cool. All the different ways that we are looking at the humble tree as a way to understand it. And then ultimately the world that we live in. Is, is, um, trees are, I think I read this in the homework that I was uh, doing for this conversation. Uh, trees are the largest living organism on Earth. So Pando is a cl um, clone of Aspen clone, which is the largest living organism on Earth. Um, but there's also, you know, I think it's Hyperion, I think is the name of the tallest, uh, tallest tree, which is this massive redwood. Um, and uh, then the oldest living tree or the oldest living thing is the bristlecone pine, which was already about a thousand years old when the pyramids were built. Mm. So well over, well over 4,000 years old. So yeah. trees are pretty cool. It, 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 what's crazy to think about is it just 
the two things that you just said, right? The the um, there are these insanely old, humongous, you know, biggest on earth kinds of organisms um, that we know so little about, and uh, still, and and the the connection to the sort of high high tech, low techness of. Um, the science and it just makes me think of how many things um how many things we're putting so much sort of high tech effort uh and and kind of uh how much ingenuity and and invention is happening on uh, you know discovery on other things and and you think about something like your phrase the humble tree i think is what what made me kind of think of it is um Think about something like the tree and everything that there isn't to know, you know, that that we don't know yet. Um, and it's kind of exciting uh, to think about, but also makes me feel like, man, we need a new generation to um, to help emphasize some of these things that we don't know. Because I think that one of the things this first um, kind of high tech generation has done is is to apply tech to all kinds of things that that uh, you know that are are sort of entertainment oriented or or um, you know outside of the goals of of science and um, man we I just feel like we have a lot of work to do kind of bringing it back to the goals of science and and uh, conservation and and you know so many so many things that's not really a question more of an observation but uh, but uh do you all have thoughts about that well i i think that that really links us nicely to planted finding your roots in stem careers yes let's talk about it um tell us about the podcast jessica and i um collaborate together to organize a um stem we call it the stem field trip day um but when we have um, different groups of students who are interested in a high school students who are interested in a more immersive um, field trip program. We had a group come on site and they had some different stations where they got to learn about the, the science and the research that was taking place on mm. site. And as part of that event um, for high school students, um, we had a networking lunch where they were able to um, interact with different members of our science and conservation team. And we had them kind of interspersed so that they weren't necessarily sitting with their social group, but um, gave us an opportunity for them to ask questions of the researchers and also us to ask questions of the students just to get to know them as well. And one of the questions that we had asked was, you know, how do you get your um, media? How is it that you're getting information in this digital age? Um, and one of the answers that um, a lot of them, you know, came back with was that they take a bus to school. Um, they take some sort of public transportation. Um, and so they listen to podcasts, they watch YouTube videos. Um, and, you know, I walked away thinking, wow, what a, a media that we're not currently utilizing to reach um, students in that way to kind of highlight some of these different career options to share some of the really cool things that are happening in um, horticulture and tree science um, in a way that is, you know, can reach them, um, that they're clearly digesting this media um, type. And so um, I called Jessica and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, I just gave both of us a lot of work for next year. Um, how do you feel about this project? And it's evolved into a passion project for both of us. Um, but what I love about it is that it is, um, it comes directly out of a need from the audience. It's something that they, um, you know, asked for and we got, you know, support right away to 
create and um, produce. And we're able to put out a really nice um, series of um, episodes that really showcase the journey into um, STEM for plant science and horticulture. Um, and, you know, realizing that we want to reach students, but a great, I mean, I'm a former educator. So, you know, knowing that one of the strongest avenues into reaching students is reaching teachers. Um, when we built out the content and um, all the extra pieces that went along with the podcast, um, we wanted there to be resources for teachers to bring it in their classroom, either in a flipped classroom model or just as additional resources aligned to the next generation science standards to get more students and teachers talking about the cool things that are being done with trees and how what that pathway into, into STEM really does look like. Um, you know, a lot of the content, and you know this as a podcaster yourself, is audio. And so we wanted to create some some digital resources and tools for teachers that highlight the visual aspects of this job, of these jobs, um, but also um, give them some ways to see what science looks like in a different way, um, what these different scientists' roles look like, um, because it's, you know, when I think about what I wanted to be in the field of science when I was growing up, I didn't know about these cool jobs that are out there. And mm. so that's really been kind of the um, the background on the project. Jessica can kind of go more into the goals and kind of where, what type of, um, you know, what our plans are for what's coming next and um, what the success of the project has been thus far. But that's kind of the, I don't want to say origin story for it, but it's the, um, you know, the background is kind of where it started. Great. Before you do, I'm going to play a little audio from the podcast. Okay, okay. great. Welcome to Planted, finding your roots in STEM careers. Journey with us as we navigate the winding path into plant-related careers with professionals who have taken root or are still branching out. I'm Megan Wiesbrook. And I'm Jessica Turner-Scoff. Today, we want to talk about what adventure lies next. Our guest today has an interesting link between three items many of us would not put together. Oaks, avocados, and the piano have something in common. What is it? Audrey Denver. Hi, Audrey. Hello. Audrey, can you tell us a bit about yourself and briefly describe your career path? Sure. I am a project manager at the Morton Arboretum for tree conservation projects with oak species of oak trees in Mexico and Central America. Before this, I was a grad student at Yale Forestry School getting my master's in environmental science. Before that, I was an environmental consultant, and that, that was my first job right out of undergrad. Um, where I studied natural resources. So when you were growing and up, and on top of what I Megan was talking idea. about with meeting the needs of our audience, um, you know, I get invited to do a lot of STEM career panels, women in STEM events like that. So it was a great opportunity to take the questions that I often get and bring it to not only myself and Megan, but also a larger audience. Mm. So we really tried to make this based off of what people have said that they've needed. Um, our goals for this project, we had a couple of goals. Um, the first one was to engage the next generation in tree science and plant-related topics. So, you know, we have a wide variety of guests that um, are on our podcast. Everything from an ethnopharmacologist, mm. we have a woman who goes into the heart of the Amazon to study a uh, palm tree. Um, we have, you know, you know, Andrew Hip, who's trying to uncover this discover the secrets of the oak tree of life. So we have, uh, you know, people from all different walks 
um, that, you know, through the planted podcast, we're bringing the audience to be able to come and listen and learn from um, these people and the work that they do. So that's the plant related topics. Um, we introduce the next generation to the diverse and exciting career paths associated with this field. You know, when I was a kid, I knew I wanted to do something with nature. Mm. I wasn't sure what that looked like. And I know, you know, Megan wanted to do something with science, but wasn't sure what that looked like. And I think that's just a really common story. And so we wanted to come up with a project that can highlight that there is so many different ways you can take that passion and love of plants and trees and nature and have a really fulfilling and exciting career with it. Yeah. Um, as an informal learning institution, we wanted to increase our reach to um, high schoolers, early professional students, and also provide insights to the teachers and students as to the paths and um, different ways that you can get into a STEM-related career. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the other goals. And then finally, um, which I was laughing when I was listening to your episode about the trajectory of knowledge, mm. uh, we wanted to humanize researchers and make tree science more relatable. So you know, the very famous um, drawless scientist experiment. Um, you know, historically, people have drawn people that look like Albert Einstein. Um, but that's not what science looks like. Yeah. It's a really vibrant, diverse, exciting group and of people that are doing it. And, you know, it's not just in a lab. It can be, you know, you can be wearing Carhartts and walking through the woods. Or, you know, you can, if you want to be in the lab, you can be in the lab. You can be doing computer modeling. You mm. can be using... Any type, low tech to high tech, it's a really exciting career field. So those were the major goals for our project. And um, I think that we have done a really good job of meeting them. Yeah. So so what's the response been? So we launched um, Planted, Finding Your Roots in STEM Careers, which is the name of the podcast, um, this past fall. Um, and so far, um, we've, we've shared it with a lot of different educators at different um, education events that we have on site or outreach that we do to, um, you know, different regional audiences. Um, it's been really well. We have over 1,600 downloads in this, you know, short amount of time. Um, it's been downloaded in um, several different states. Um, 38 states. I was going to say Jessica nice. will know the number. 25 countries, which um, we're very excited about. So, you know, in that regard, it's been a, a short turnaround, but feedback from teachers has been really positive. Um, it really lends itself well to um, having activities that teachers can use in the classroom um, and then the content that students can listen to kind of before they come into class or, you know, as an extension of if it's something that they're um, interested in. And so feedback from teachers has been really positive, which... I think for me is like the is the most rewarding uh, one of the most rewarding parts of um, the project. I'm um, just because that's you know that's my home base. That's that's what I was before I was at the Arboretum. Mm. Um, but it's also some of the resources are it's cool stuff. Um, one of our guests is an ethnopharmacologist, and she shared with her with us her um, microscopy images of um, nerve cells because she travels to remote parts of the world and um, gathers. Um, talks to, gathers information from local healers about um, how they're using these um, different plants to treat 
um, different diseases. Mm. And then she takes that back in the lab and tests those extracts on nerve cells to look for changes in um, nerve cell growth. And she shared with us some of her photos so that one of the resources is um, students being able to do that analysis where they can see kind of a sick nerve cell, one that's been a healthy nerve cell, and then one that's been treated with an um, extract and kind of compare across those Mm. three images. And to me, that's the part that is um, has the feedback has been really positive that those are really um, useful ways in bringing some of um, not only a highlight to these career, but opportunities for students to do some of that work and do some of that analysis and ask those questions on their own. And that guest, Aurelie Jacquette, she is um, not only is she a phenomenal scientist working at one of the premier medical institutes in the country, um, but she's also a phenomenal communicator and takes amazing pictures as well when she's doing her research. So, you know, we really tried to highlight um, researchers that are really not only doing amazing work, not just researchers, but plant professionals, people that are doing amazing work, but also people that have fun personalities Mm. and have um, interests and passions. So it's a really exciting way to be able to have this insight and this authentic experience with a scientist or a plant expert um, wherever you are, because it's a podcast. Yeah. An ethnopharmacologist. Yeah. She's really cool. What's her name again? Aurelie Jacquette. Aurelie Jacquette. So I will uh, link to her and that episode in the show notes. Um, I'm really excited about what you guys are up to, in part because I think that um, when we think about things like science communication and the, the effort to you know broaden participation and and help young people and, and people of all all uh, ages who are uh, you know learners and and thinking about a path um, whether it's to you know scholarship or conservation or or other things. Um, we need to leverage some of the, uh, the, the media that is extremely accessible and producible, uh, with, with relative, um, you know, relatively reasonable effort. Um, it, it is, it's so worth it to put amazing scientists, you know, into the ears or in front of, uh, through video, you know, people, because for, for way too long, I think, you know, science has been a, um, uh, has, has the story we've told any way has been an exclusive kind of club. And, and I think that what we're realizing is that that's, uh, kept us from progress in a lot of ways. And, and so I think what you're doing is so important, uh, in so many ways. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that it's happening. I, what I hope that it, uh, triggers is for many, many other, uh, shows to get started that are really focused on highlighting, um, highlighting careers in, uh, in, in all kinds of fields, but in, in STEM, especially, um, I want to thank you both. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Season two is going to be coming out this fall. So, um, that is something that everyone should be on the lookout for. Awesome. I'm, I'm guessing more amazing guests. More amazing guests. This time we're focusing a little bit more on the first season we focused on the journey into STEM and this Mm. time we're really highlighting different um, traits and qualities that um, different individuals kind of exhibit and what that looks like. Um, But it also allows us to highlight different, um, different industries and different um, people in different parts of the journey too, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Through season one and season two, we've really tried to pick guests in varying stages of their career so it's not just, oh, you know, at the end of this journey, this is the job that you can have. 
Um, you know, but it's more about finding your place where you are and pursuing your interests and learning as much as possible to get your dream job. Megan and Jessica, thank you guys so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. The- Happy to be here. Thanks so much, Mark. We were very excited that this pen pal friendship blossomed into this. Oh, you, you and me both. The The podcast is called Planted, Finding Your Roots in STEM Careers. And I would encourage people to check it out, whether you're just curious about uh, you know, it's it's spring and you're curious about flowering things and the scientists who uh, help to conserve and, and learn things about them. Uh, or maybe you're a parent with a teen who's thinking about science, but, um, uh, you know, doesn't know quite what route to take. Um, it is a great one to throw on to. Uh, the stereo, you know, the speakers in the car on a long ride and, and mm-hmm. kind of explore together. Um, because, uh, you know, these are the kinds of things that I think when we, uh, when we discover with, uh, our young people who are thinking about these fields, it, it can be, uh, even more rewarding. Cause then, you know, we, as parents, educators, uh, of, of all kinds, family members, um, guardians can help then, uh, broker new opportunities for that young person when they show some interest. So, um, uh, hopefully getting them out to the Arboretum or a local Arboretum, wherever they are, uh, getting them connected to university programs that offer these kinds of things. So, so, so important. Um, so you guys are such a, a key step in all that. So I appreciate the show and I'm so glad that you're garnering the support you need to keep it going. If you're in or around Chicago, what better way to celebrate Arbor Day uh, or Earth Day, which is close by, uh, and then going out and checking out some of what we're talking about at Morton Arboretum, I highly encourage it. Um, whether it's your first time to an Arboretum or your thousandth time, uh, there is always something special to glean uh, in spring. So, um, so both of you, thank you so much for doing this. And, uh, and I hope to hear more in the second season and maybe I'll have you come back and visit. Thank you as well. You have some two super fans of No Such Thing over here. So it's exciting. A credit to Stravinsky and the London Symphony Orchestra for a brief clip from our intro. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This show would not be possible without the support from the good people at Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org.